0: So I'm going to do what Reverend Larry's fond of doing that I like because I think it has value and focuses us. I'm going to tell you the promise of this book, and it's this book here. I'm not going to try to pronounce his name because I don't think I'm very good at it, so I'm just going to refer to him as him <laughs> or he. It says, discover the value of slowing down, which I think is perfect for this time of year when we're being told we need to hurry up and do a whole bunch of stuff. With the constant pressure to do more, keep moving, and go faster, our everyday lives often do not reflect our most heartfelt values and ideals. Our lives feel out of control. In this book, we are being shown how to take the first step in living intentionally, and that first step is to slow down the mind. Though we may not always realize it, it is the mind, not external events, that drives our constant sense of urgency and restlessness. So as we say so often in Science of Mind, we're just making it up. (laughs) With gentle wisdom and practical tools, this book shows us how to slow down the pace of our day without sacrificing efficiency and productivity, Improve, deepen, and heal relationships. Make deliberate and intentional choices rather than coasting on autopilot. Focus scattered attention. Become aware of the connection between the hurry and negative emotions like anger and depression. So that sounds good, right? I like this book because not only do I like the purpose of this book, but it's easy to read because he is uh, from India, so was raised in a culture that is different than ours, and so he has a very interesting perspective on ways of being that uh, we might take for granted in this culture. Uh, They're very different. He has some very interesting observations about how we move around in the world, literally, and the speed with which we do that. Um, Who here knows what GIF is? Oh, this is so cool. Oh, be still. You were at the first service. (laughs) It's G-I-F or G-I-F-F. And it has been named by Oxford American Dictionary as Word of the Year for 2012. Well, first of all, I didn't know there was a Word of the Year. And if I did know, I wouldn't have known this because I never heard of it before. And the only reason I know it now is because I was listening to NPR, specifically Q, which is a show uh, broadcast from Canada. The host is Gian Gomeshi. And he had an artist on there who has arranged this art exhibit in New York City somewhere. And it is called The Art of the GIF: Moving the Still Exhibit, which I thought was interesting, Moving the Still GIF stands for Graphics Interchange Format. There, now you know all you need to know. It doesn't mean a whole lot to me either, the definition of it. But the way he described it was that this exhibit of GIF is still life that moves. Because things only hold our interest for four or five seconds. We are only fascinated for four or five seconds. So in order to pay more attention, apparently, things have to be animated. Am I the only one? who I mean, really? We can't slow down long enough to look at a still life. We can't sit down long enough, stand there long enough to look at a portrait of the Mona Lisa unless it's graphically computer animated. I mean, seriously. Seriously, I mean, it's just, um, we can't slow down long enough to look at a still life, I think, because our life isn't still enough to do that. And so what we're talking about today and all month, actually, is learning how to take our time, learning how to slow down, recognizing that we need to do that, and then Acknowledging why and strategies as to how. And he has some. And the premise of this is to live an intentional life. And an intentional life requires that you are, we are fully present for it. So that we are not back there. We're not wondering what's going to happen up there. That we are here now. Now. And so this is not about multitasking. In fact, multitasking is contraindicated here. It doesn't mean you can only do one thing for the rest of your life. It's that you literally do one thing at a time. And as we do that, we are completely focused on that one thing, that it has our full attention. And wouldn't you know, one of the bonuses of doing that is that we are more efficient. Because we're 100% present. And he says that when we do things with only part of the mind, we are just skimming the surface of life. Nothing sinks in, nothing has real impact. It leads to an empty feeling inside. Unfortunately, it is this very emptiness that drives us to pack in even more. Does this sound feel familiar at all? Seeking desperately to fill the void in our hearts. What we need to do is just the opposite. What we really need to do is slow down and live completely in the present. Then every moment will be full. And then maybe we can be still enough to look at a still life. And as we nurture these moments, because I think, and I don't think this is just me, this takes practice because we are surrounded by messages of activity and activity that tell us just the opposite, that tell us we really need to get a move on. The faster, the better, the more, the better. So as we nurture moments and we learn how and practice being still, we transform our own lives. And, of course, since there's only one life, if I'm transforming my life, then I'm transforming life itself because there's only one consciousness, so it all goes. Everything affects everything. And then I love that he said this in this book. I'm paraphrasing. Then we raise children that live their lives in a constant awareness of all the children on the planet. Imagine a world like that. Imagine a world like that. So another thing that we teach in Science of Mind is that our thought is creative so that we have the technology to do what he is talking about here. We have the technology to learn how to focus on one thing at a time. We have the technology to learn how to be, how to stop, how to slow down, and what to focus our attention on and our thought on. And he also says, which we also teach, which is one of the most annoying things about this teaching, it means that the problems aren't out there, they're in here, simply put. It's not them, it's us. First of all, because there is no them. So the problems, the challenges that we deal with, and the ways that we deal with them are in here. And so our job is to know that and to use it. He says that everything is decided in and by the mind. And I don't know about you, but mine races as if it's a sprint, not a marathon. It races. It's a mind in a hurry. And since I've been dealing with this, plus some other stuff, which I'll go into in a second, um, I've really been watching my mind. It's fascinating. Seriously, it's it's just hilarious. Because it just jumps from one thing to another thing to another thing, and it does it really, really quickly. And the cool thing about learning to watch one's mind is then one is able to uh, pull back and understand that there is something more to us that is able to do that. That's probably another talk, but I'm not the only one whose mind does that, right? (laughs) I hope not. Just don't tell me if I am. So this gift thing, one of the reasons I was so attracted to the concept of it is because to me it's like a classic case of art imitating life. Still life that moves as quickly as it can, as quickly as possible. He says, a mind that's racing over worries about the future or recycling resentments from the past is ill-equipped to handle the challenges of the moment. By slowing down, we can train the mind to focus completely on the present even when that is the last thing we might want to do. He didn't say that, I did. He goes on, then we can find that we function well, whatever the difficulties. And then he says that makes us stress-proof. And by stress-proof, he doesn't mean that nothing's ever going to happen. It means that we're equipped to deal with whatever happens because we're dealing with only what's happening now. We're not rehashing what happened five minutes ago, five hours ago, five years ago, whatever. And we're not going over what may or may not happen in the future, which is always pointless because it's not here yet. So what we're dealing with then is what's happening now. So look at how much we just freed up right there by eliminating all this and eliminating all that. And then we deal with what's present here now. Some of you know, um, the reason I haven't been here for a few, almost three months, actually, hardly at all. Um, A few months ago, my husband and I received some very startling news about him medically. Very startling. And I found myself setting the intention to be fully present for everything I was feeling. I somehow felt that that was very, very important. And it has been. I think it saved my life, Um, being fully present when really there have been moments when I would like to be anywhere else but here. Because when stuff feels like crap, usually we leave. Emotionally, mentally, we leave. We bail. And we have developed strategies honed over years. Oh, wait. Maybe that's just me. (laughs) But... (laughs) But seriously, most of us have. We have defense mechanisms that we employ, and when something feels yucky, we employ them. One of my daughters has just been horror, just blindsided by this and told me she doesn't, she doesn't want to feel what she's feeling. She doesn't want to feel this, and I said, too bad. You know, tough. You have a choice. You can stuff it. And that does two things. Once it gets you really full of stuff. And it also, you're telling yourself that you can't handle it. That you can't handle it. And I told her, I said, baby girl, she's not a baby, but she's mine. I said, you can, but you've got to learn to know that you can. And the only way that you learn this is by doing it. I mean, haven't you all, you know, the good news about getting knocked on your rear is that you know that you can get up again. And once you do that, it doesn't mean stuff doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean stuff isn't whatever. But there's something in us then that knows, okay, okay, I can do this. You know, I can do this. Being fully present. Learning, practicing, setting the intention of being fully present. It changes everything. Everything. I watch a lot of Westerns now. It's not my fault. <laughs> Some of you know um, my husband and I have been married for over 35 years. 25 of those years have been spent living apart, which I think is directly related to why we've been married for 35 years. <laughs> he has a business that operates in California, so that's where he lives. And every two years, I move him from one spot to another. And uh, there's a lot of flight travel back and forth and so on. So we don't normally live together. Now we do. For three months. But who's counting? (laughs) 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And may I tell you that Clint Eastwood was extremely attractive at age 22 in rawhide. (laughs) However old he was. So there's a lot of Westerns, there's a lot of uh, football. Football, yay, football. (laughs) And I actually happen to like football. But not every day, not all day. Now there's Sunday football, there's Monday football, there's Thursday night football, sometimes there's Friday night football, and on Saturdays there's college football. Anyway, so, yeah, so um, a lot of football. And so I notice commercials now, for one thing, because there are many of them. I noticed, and my husband did as well, there's an AT&T commercial. I don't even know what they're advertising, but I know that it's a, it's a man in, it looks like a classroom setting, talking to some children that are ages, I don't know, six, seven, eight, something like that. And he is demonstrating to them with these flashes of stuff, what, what this device is, probably a smartphone or something, all the stuff it can do simultaneously, all at the same time. And the tagline he ends with, doing two things at once is better. I'm thinking, no, it's not. But check it out. Look at that. I mean, we're being told that from, the you know, the more, the better, the faster, the better, the more things at once, the better. But what we're doing is we're creating a culture of people with attention spans the size of a gnat. So that in order to get our attention, there has to be still life that moves. There has to be flashing. There has to be just a whole lot of rapid stuff. Because otherwise, we're out of there. We're on to the next thing. I know a guy um, who shall remain nameless who can watch three football games and a Western all at the same time. I'm serious. I've seen it. He just keeps flipping channels back and forth. Have you ever noticed how channel surfing is so annoying when someone else is doing it? (laughs) Right? Hey, I'm just looking for something, okay? Anyway, it's so... so it would seem it would appear that you know his attention's never just in one place it's like everywhere all the time do we really need to watch four things at once i mean do we really need to have an ipad and an iphone and a macbook on all again that's yeah I'm talking about myself all at the same time i mean do we think we're going to miss something really really important is there some vital piece of information that we must have immediately Because what this means, all this multitasking, this short attention span stuff, is that we're never 100% present for anything. We're not invested at all in our own lives. And we're missing our own lives. Because we're so busy scrambling around to get to everything that we get to nothing. And we're so anxious because we've just got so much to do. We might miss something, so we try to cram it all in. And this is just the opposite of slowing down, just the opposite of intentional, just the opposite of what is called one-pointedness. And the thing is, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all a giant diversion to cover up, to distract us from that feeling of emptiness or missing something or whatever it is And I think the reason we feel empty is because we're not there. He says that one-pointedness equals attention, which equals emotional stability, which equals vital wealth. I've never heard that term before. I really like it. Vital wealth. And what he means by that is that we're 100% present for our own lives. So 100% present means 100% alive. That's kind of cool. 100% present means 100% alive. So isn't this party that we call life worth an RSVP? Isn't it worth us showing up? Because I am more and more aware, especially considering what my husband and I are dealing with, that this life is really precious. And you know what? We don't have all day. I mean, granted, we believe, I believe, we move on to something else. This is what I know now. And I believe that we're here on purpose with a purpose. I believe that each one of us is a gift, literally. And our job is to give it. In order to do that, we're going to have to show up. Because we don't get a do-over here, I don't believe. Not in this form, anyway. So I don't want to continue to live in a state of what Albert Einstein calls an optical delusion of consciousness. Isn't that cool? Well, it's not cool, but it's a cool term. <clears throat> so how do we do this? Well, he him, he has he's developed this eight point program. And the eight points are breathe. That's not, any, that's not one of them. I just want to tell you, because some of you are going to go, <gasps> at the first one, which is to get up earlier. <laughs> get up early. It sets the tone for the day. Don't crowd your day. Ask yourself why it's important. So set your own priorities. Take time for relationships. Take time for Reflection. Don't let yourself get hurried. Respond with patience. And slow down the mind. And I'm just going to cover briefly the first three things this morning. And the first one is getting up early. Well, the obvious obvious idea behind that is that most of us feel like we just don't have enough time. Well, you just gained 60 minutes, right? So that's the math part of it. But the bigger part of it is how you feel about that. If you get up in the morning knowing that you have an extra hour, your mind just kind of goes, oh. I mean, you just kind of, I know this because I've been doing it, you just, it sets the tone for the entire day. It slows you down right away because you know you have another hour. And the other thing about crowding your day is it's about making choices. You don't have to read four newspapers a day. You don't have to see what's on every channel. You don't have to check your email every five minutes or two minutes or constantly. Because as we do that, we're just skittering around. And so that doesn't allow any space, literally, for us to take a breath and be here now. We can't. We're operating our devices. That's not just me, right? Good. Anyway, so making a list, asking yourself what's important. And the biggest single thing about doing this is, what is it they say? My daughters have said this about small appliances. They said that I need to find a, uh, what do you call it? Those programs for um, no you self you know this the twelve step I have to find a twelve step program for small appliances. <laughs> they told me that the first step in doing that is admitting that I have a problem. I sort of have a thing about small appliances, but it's the same kind same kind of thing. Is that in order to make a list of priorities, the first thing you have to do is admit that you can't do it all that you can't do it all. And either you prioritize your life or your life will prioritize it for you. And one of the suggestions that he makes is, as you're going down with your red pencil, because the idea is seriously to have a to-do list and to cross some of it off. To cross some of it off. And he says, one way to assist us in doing that is to ask yourself, will this help the next generation? So how important is it, really? And I'm going to read from part from his book. He says, he relates because he did this. When I made this kind of list, I found to my surprise that quite a few of the things I'd been engaged in were expendable. I had never suspected this. I had become used to certain activities that university professors do. And then, too, I had taken it for granted that other activities really could not manage without my contribution. For one thing, I was associated with a number of little academic clubs. A current events club, the Dramatic Society, the Debating Society, a club for the study of obscure English poets. I even had a central role with the Toastmasters Club at the YMCA. When I dropped out of these activities, I was under the impression that people would miss me. I even asked myself what I would do when people asked why I hadn't been turning up. I was rather embarrassed to discover that nobody noticed I was gone. (laughs) Nobody even asked, where have you been? So it was a very healthy reminder. So even if you can't imagine how the team without your coaching skills next year will do, or how the neighborhood kids will get to their swimming lessons, without your van, I can assure you that it's very likely that others will arise to carry the burden. They might even be looking forward to the opportunity to try. So it doesn't mean that we just bail on everything. It means that we prioritize. It means that we prioritize. Because I'm sure you all know people who... Pack their lives so full, I mean literally so full, and we even do it to our kids now too. They have ballet lessons, they have tap lessons, they have swim lessons, they have this lesson, they have that lesson, they go to school, all whatever, just packing it in. We don't need to do that. We can prioritize it. The idea of living an intentional life, a mindful life, just busts wide open the whole multitasking thing. Absolutely. And it frees us up. It frees us up to create the space to jump off that gerbil wheel thing. Life in the fast lane, rushing about, however we want to describe it. Because when you think about it, but who has the time to think about it? But if you did think about it, what are we in such... I'll rush over. What's the hurry? What's the hurry? I'm going to close with um, reading a list compiled by an Australian nurse, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. She spent 20 years dealing in palliative care with people who were making their transition, who had been told that they were going to be leaving the planet very shortly. And she listened to hundreds of people talk about things that they regretted, that they were living, wishing, you know, if they could do it differently. And here are just the top five. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard so much. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I had let myself be happier. I've read through all this. There is nothing in any of this about wishing they had worked harder or wishing they had had more stuff. Because contrary to the old saying, have you heard that? There used to be a commercial years ago. He who dies with the most stuff wins. No, they just die with the most stuff. That's it. And we have a little minuscule amount of time to be here. To be the love of the divine. To be who we are. To have the courage to express that to ourselves, to each other. So let's commit to doing that. Let's commit to being here now, 100% present, 100% alive. Let's do that. Let us pray. And so in this moment of remembering, I'm remembering that there's only one life. I call it God. It's everything. Expressing itself in, through, and as. Everything that has ever been, will ever be, is now. The fullness of God, the wholeness that is God, the love that is God. Showing up in, through, and as everything, everyone, everywhere, all the time. So I know that means me. I know that I am a unique expression of this one. And as I know this for myself, I know it for everyone here. Every single one of us, a perfect, beautiful expression of the divine so I speak this word for every single one of us this morning affirming and knowing a willingness to remember that and to do whatever it takes to express that I affirm a willingness to trust that when we slow down what we see what we feel is good is us is love and that we are always supported in doing so Because there is that within us, as us, that stands with us, in, through, and as everything. And in gratitude for knowing this truth that God is all there is, it means every single one of us. I release this word, knowing it's done. I let it be. And if you can agree with me, please signify that by saying, and so it is. Thank you.